Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is April 17th, 2019, and today I'm really, really happy to have on um, author and professor Joe Miller. Joe Miller just released a book, U.S. of AA, How the 12 Steps Hijacked the Science of Alcoholism. He comes from, well, he's at Columbus, Columbus, Georgia, right? And he is an associate professor there of English. And Miller is the author author of a 2006 book. This is a long one. Okay, Cross X, The Amazing True Story of How the Most Unlikely Team from the Most Unlikely Places Overcame Staggering Obstacles at Home and at School to Challenge the Debate Community on Race, Power, and Education, which won the William Rockhill Nelson Award and Harry Chapin Award for Nonfiction in 2007 and was selected as one of the best books of the year by the Chicago Tribune, Kansas City, Strand, and Publishers Weekly. Miller is an investigative reporter and author, and he writes about the history of the 12-step program here in this book from its inception, following the beginnings of the program through the early days until the present day, and uh, I found it really fascinating. I know a lot of this stuff, but there were pieces of this puzzle that I didn't know that explain a lot of things to me. So we're going to bring Joe on. Here we go. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the show. Hi, Monica. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. You're welcome. It's really, really great to have you. So um, let's start with what happened that you said, wow, i got to write this book? Oh, it was kind of gradual. I, uh, it, it rose out of my own experience. I, I was in AA for a number of years on a number of different occasions. Um, mm-hmm. And it worked for me at first, um, but then when I went back out and uh, started drinking again and, and uh, um, things went downhill, I reached out for help, and I just kept being told to go back to AA. Um, mm-hmm. And finally, I started uh, really, really reaching out, trying to find other alternatives, and I found out that there were a whole bunch, 
And uh, I wanted to know, the investigative reporter in me wanted to know, why is it that, that I've been told all this time that this is my only option when there are, there are all these other options that have been there all along? Mm-hmm. So when I started digging happen? into it. Yeah, was that when, like five years ago or before that, that you said that to yourself? A little bit more, a little bit before that. To be honest with you, this this started off kind of as a memoir about recovering from recovery. Um, I started <laughs> kind of get, getting into moderation management and that kind of thing. And, and uh, when I first pitched this book to publishers, it was more, much more memoir heavy. Um, yeah. And I came close to selling it, but it didn't sell. So I reworked it and, and in the process dug even more into the history and, and uh um, uh, it worked out a lot better this way. That it's a, you know, a, a pretty comprehensive history of how it all came to be. Right, and then when you found out the history, then you found out why it was hard to sell, right? <laughs> um, a little bit, yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, the first, the first proposal that I sent out. Almost immediately, I think within five minutes, I got an email from just some random person out there calling me a moron and saying that I was going to destroy the lives of so many people because, you know, I was criticizing AA. So apparently, whatever wow. editor my agent sent the, <laughs> the proposal to, immediately yeah. sent it to his friends in AA, and they looked me up and, like, uh, attacked me. Um, so I think that's part of it. Uh, uh, but... Uh, I, um, I, th- I think it, it, it didn't sell initially because it was two books in one, and, and mm-hmm. it needed to be it needed to be one book. Yeah, I think, and because it is sort of a thinner book, right? I mean, it's 160 pages with the, a lot of acknowledgments there, and I've like marked it up. It's it's really comprehensive. So let's talk about it. Do you want to talk about the beginnings, or where would you like to begin about like the book? Because we do go, you go all the way back to the beginning, and uh, I found it actually well, really. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the early days, at the same time that AA was was newly formed and trying to grow, um, I was unaware before I got into this book that at that time. Um, which was right after the prohibition, uh, scientists were uh, were looking for ways to to study alcohol scientifically and hopefully sort of affect American policy that way. Because even even in the early years after prohibition, alcohol was an extremely contentious issue. Um, people hmm. just mm-hmm. didn't want to touch it. Philanthropists didn't want to give money to it. There were no government funds for study and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what happened was that they, they the scientists were frustrated with um, the inability to get funding for their research, so they seized on this new idea of alcoholism being a disease that was coming up through this fledgling AA group. Um, so uh, that that's kind of the, the catalyst there, that there was this sort of sleight of hand that happened. Right. And when I say scientists, I'm not talking crackpots. I mean, these were... Yeah. Um, you They're know, at Yale and Harvard? Um, yeah, Yale had Yale had a, 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 a section on alcohol, a, a kind of a school on alcohol. Um, a top uh, scientist there um, named Howard Haggard, uh, no, I'm sorry, Harold Haggard, um, was kind of a rock star scientist back th- back in the day. He's one of these guys that would sort of do these these reports that would sort of turn common wisdom on end, and he'd get a lot of publicity. And he had some really popular books, um, mm-hmm. but uh, they were, you know, it was it was a serious effort. 
and and um, for lack of funds, they had to sort of re repackage the issue so that they mm-hmm. could get funds. And the way to do it yes. was around this idea of alcoholism being a disease. And there was just no proof whatsoever at the time that it was it was um, it was mm-hmm. just a hunch. Right. And um, and gradually, I mean, after a really exer- uh, uh, incre- you have to give credit to them. I mean, the PR campaign that 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 AA and 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 the science yeah. community and did to push this idea of alcoholism being a singular disease was was one of the the most remarkable in in modern history, and uh, it worked. I mean, after, after twenty or thirty years of this concerted effort, um, uh, it resulted in. A new law that created a branch of the National Institutes of Health devoted to alcohol, alcohol and alcohol abuse. And uh, um, after that, the money started really pouring in for research. And what do you know, once the research came in, it found that um, alcoholism is n- not a singular disease. It's not just what you see in AA, in the AA Big Book. It's a range of, of, dis- of maladies. It's a, disor- it's a disorder more along the lines of depression or anxiety or any other mental disorder where it's, you know, it's very individualized. Everybody has kind of their own um, manifestation of it, and mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, it requires uh, an array of treatment strategies. You kind of have to try a number of different things and, and see sort of what works. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, But now we're stuck. I mean, the PR campaign worked so well that you know, it's just sort of almost, you know, part of our sort of collective consciousness that an alcoholic is of the AA variety. And, you know, certainly some are, and it works for mm-hmm. a great number of people. But that's, even even with all the numbers of people who, who have gotten help for AA, there's still just a, a minuscule minority of uh, the people that suffer from, from alcohol use disorders. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I just want to make a little announcement. So I've, I haven't been able to get the chat room to work for many months, and I finally did last night. So I just want to say for all the listeners who used to go into the chat room and make comments or ask questions, you can do it by going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash safe recovery, and then there's a place where you log in. And anyway, we used to have it. It was really fun because as somebody was talking, people... Yeah, I hope people can get on there today. I'll be interested to see... Yeah, if not, we could do what another show um, because there's a lot I want to talk to you about. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, it was interesting when I read Gabrielle Glaser's book, and when I worked with her, uh, she was the one who had said, you know, oh, we got to read about Marty Mann, and then somebody sent me her biography anonymously when I was making my film, and I thought, well, this is weird, right? And I was like, I don't want to read this shit. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> really? Like, well, it's a pretty terrible like, book. It re- it's yeah, not yeah. A- Right, so my intern, she well, she was a film graduate, film student graduate, and I said, okay, read this book and give me the notes on every you know chapter, and we discussed it. And but I found out that she was well, not only that she was a PR person, like Gabrielle said, and you do, but um, she was from a wealthy family, and she was in those mm-hmm. circles. So back in those yeah. days, that meant something really different. So if I was from, say, if she was from the Bill Gates family. She would already be connected to the Fords and the Rockefeller, and got introduced by whether it was her lover, right? And then also in the gay world because it was actually it was illegal. It was considered a mental illness back then. So mm-hmm. if you were gay, there was this other subculture that helped each other out, which was the gay mm-hmm. community. 
So she had two things working for her, and she was a mm. female person to begin with. And you could see how that would, you know, like thrust her forward. But I did, mm-hmm. I did not see it as intensely as I see it now from your book and that she spent mm-hmm. 15 years with those two other guys, right? Now, were those two other guys doctors, were those both AA members too who were just totally focused, like they were driven, that was their goal, that they would make this a disease. The AMA was going to, you know, say that alcoholism oh, oh. is a disease. What were their name? I have um, the two um, guys. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah from uh, Buffalo, from the Buffalo area. Oh, boy, I'm... Uh, uh, Block, Marvin Block mm-hmm. was the main guy in the AMA and he wasn't an alcoholic um, he had a friend a fellow uh, classmate from, from med school who was an alcoholic and had recovered through AA his motivation was really um, he wanted to, to have some prestige and, and to to make a difference um, mm-hmm. to, to, have, mm-hmm. to have succeeded in something uh, he's, I found an interview with him later in life where he, he said that that was his main motivation. Um, so, yeah, uh, um, they really, it, it's yeah, it's it pretty was, amazing, that whole process of how the AMA uh, viewed it as a disease, because it was by no means a, 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 uh, a unanimous decision. It was, uh, it, it was voted down a number of different times at, at the annual conferences, and then it, when it finally went through, it was a very scant majority, and uh, um, and the language was not not explicitly this is a disease. It was uh, it, it sort of danced around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other. But that one, was enough for man to work with. Yeah. You know, once she had yes, that yes, in place, was. then she could go all around the country and say, "Look, the AMA backs this. Yale backs it." Um, yeah. You know. And when people like to fight about this kind of stuff, about that AA is not involved in politics, so, of course, you know from having been a member of the preamble that AA mm-hmm. is not allied with any sect denomination politics, organization, or institution, that that is a complete lie. And I've been saying it, it and it, as the years have gone by, I would see one more aspect of the lie in the judicial system as I uncovered that. Like, say, if you're going parole, everybody is sent to 12-step if they're you know anything is related to alcohol or drugs even if they were just Mm -hmm. like a drug dealer but didn't use it they still have to be abstinent and go but the way that you laid it out oh my god so let's talk about uh let's talk about hughes so the hughes act is very famous and people knew of the hughes act but i didn't know that this guy so talk about him because this is really crazy story how intense yeah harold hughes was was uh, um, uh, well, he was a truck driver initially, an uh, uh, alcoholic, um, and uh, uh, progressed to where he was, you know, was basically suicidal and prayed to God and found AA and uh, turned his life around and, and got involved in politics um, first from uh, at the union level, but pretty quickly rose to, to be governor of Iowa. And interestingly, uh, one of the, the the biggest things that he accomplished was to overturn Iowa's um, then extremely strict dry dry laws. It was uh, very difficult to get alcohol. Iowa had one of the more more stringent dry laws. Um, and then he uh, uh, made it into the Senate, and um, uh, in 1968, and uh, was looking for something to to sort of make an impact, and and uh, looked into 
uh, government funding of treatment programs and found that they were, uh, to his view, lacking. And uh, and and had, he learned that a number of his predecessors on Capitol Hill had tried to to push legislation that would give more money for that and and to to recognize alcoholism as a medical problem. Um, but what's interesting, there was no money for him to have a subcommittee, and he said, uh, "Well, I'll fund it, and and we'll get all volunteers to do it," which <laughs> is basically it's, it was all members of AA that pushed this thing. Right, right, um, Joel Steppers. It wasn't he lo- governor lobbying and an, yeah. lobbying anonymously, you know, yeah. uh, for, for them for an organization. Yeah, for them for their own organization. Um, it, it's really pretty incredible. I, I think, uh, you know, it's it, I, that's one of the things that I think about a lot when I when I when I reflect on this book project is that, you know and and some of the criticism of it being sort of biased or um, you know a polemic against AA. And that's one of the things that really strikes me is that how much we accept AA being outside the norm, you know, Mm -hmm. like, can you think of any other organization that we would, that we would give a pass to lobby anonymously, Mm -hmm. you know, where people could, could, could lobby for something that they, they don't disclose. And even to the extent where Hughes, the, 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 uh, the the meetings the proceedings were were broadcast and he got the networks to not film um, Bill Wilson's face you know to, which is just crazy it's like a public yeah. meeting I mean you know what I mean yeah. it's like yeah right how, yeah, how did special. this organization become yeah. so sacrosanct that that yeah. we would that we would uh, that we would forego political norms of of transparency it's pretty amazing. So yeah, he yeah. he got it through, and then yeah. the weird thing is that after he got it through, well, he quit he quit the Senate after one term and devoted his life to God, and I found an, a, an extraordinary speech by him uh, for, in 1974, not long after he had left the office, and and the 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 Institute on Alcohol and Alcohol Abuse was, was already going a few years into its mission. He gave the speech decrying the um, the treatment industrial complex. That that it was you know that they kind of created this monster of of you know revenue generation you know around wow, the twelve steps. Wow, he did that in seventy four. He gets really yeah in seventy four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's when um, Gabrielle said it really grew. AA like her you know in her uh, studying too that the seventies like when I joined in nineteen seventy five, there was this right. big growth. But that's because they did that. Uh, it was a press conference with Dick Van Dyke, and then Hughes was there too. He must have been the other senator. And they, it was like a, a press conference. It wound up in um, the film The Anonymous People. He used that mm-hmm. archival footage. Um, is there any footage of some of the stuff, the early stuff? Uh, the, you know how you have the, the black and white archival footage? Um, um, did you yeah, I don't know. I didn't. Since I wasn't stuff? doing a documentary video, I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I was I, I, I was mostly working through documents and archives. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So um, the 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 little bit of video that I got was more. Um, there were a lot of public service announcements in the 70s, right after the NIAAA was created. Initially, the NIAAA really worked a lot like it was an extension of man's campaign, um, mm-hmm. but at, at the federal level with just millions of dollars behind it. So, you know, like you say, the 70s was the time of just explosive growth. 
not only in AA but in in these these treatment programs all around the country, and mm-hmm. a lot of it was fueled by this, you know, basically a, a propaganda campaign uh, funded by the government. It wasn't until the Carter administration, and then most definitively in the the, the Reagan years, that the organization <clears throat> moved away from PR and propaganda to pretty much almost all research, um, mm-hmm. some treatment mm-hmm. stuff, but it's mostly mostly. They they really moved it toward research, which is a good thing. But right, the, right. The problem, but a lot of damage. The problem is now we don't we yeah. don't know that it's there. Right, right. Because it's everybody is so brainwashed. I mean, they have they didn't get my mother's generation, but they got mine, and um, mm-hmm. their PR campaign was so heavy that they sent speakers to my grade school, Catholic school. Oh wow. Yeah. And uh, a lot of us, we were first, like we were all were leaving. We were like, you know, we were so angry. I was really angry about that. I was like, really? You're going to come to seventh, you know, one through eighth grade in Catholic school instead of going to middle school, right? Say public school. But there was a, you know, they were, I finally found somewhere where it had said that it was really flatlining in the 60s and they were really trying to find who could they go after. And that's when they said, let's go after teenagers. Like now they're going after seniors. <laughs> seniors hmm. are drinking. Like as I was leaving AA, that's what the thing they were doing. But let's talk. Uh, well, there's so much to talk about. Wow. I was yeah. really. Um, okay. So here's one of the other things that I, was the. Uh, where did I? I really highlight a lot of stuff. So the Minnesota model and the first big in Hazleton, mm-hmm. Bill Wilson. Um, I had heard, you know, that he was involved with that and the creation of Hazelton. Want to talk about? Yeah, I didn't really uh, come across Bill Wilson being particularly involved with it. Um, uh, oh, so that was the one in really. Connecticut, maybe. Maybe it was the one in Connecticut that I had read somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but certainly AA was part of it. Uh, the, the guy that 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 really got that all going was a guy named Pat Cronin uh, mm-hmm. from Minneapolis. And uh, um, he had he had found a copy of the big well he'd read a little review of the big book when it came out uh, in time, borrowed a dime from his sister to check out a book from the library. I don't know why I'd never been to a library where you got to pay a dime for it, but he did, and mm-hmm. uh, got the book and then sent a letter to to the central office and and they sent up a couple people from Chicago, um, and it kind of grew from there. He started the AA group in in Minneapolis. Um, and then started uh, working, uh, going around working with with uh, with alcoholics in in jail, and uh, um, social workers up there started to kind of notice that some of the cases that they were working, you know, where they had an alcoholic fa- father, they started kind of getting better, and they wanted to know what was going on, so they they looked into it and found AA, and and they decided to start. Um, a, a, a treatment program around that and mm-hmm. uh, it just kind of grew from there i think one of the most interesting the most fascinating parts of it and i think important from a policy standpoint was that once the the minnesota government started kind of supporting this this um they had to create a new uh category in the civil service um codes for mm-hmm. uh, an alcoholic counselor because uh, before and for good reason, the you know the state required uh, masters of social work or you know yes, some yes. sort of graduate professional level right, training. Right. Mm-hmm. And here they you know uh, this new model was based on 
you know, the only the only uh, experience he had to bring to it was to be to have been a drunk, and to have gotten sober for a period of time. So they created this new category called alcoholic counselors. And in my research, I found that the governor, when he first heard it, he like fell out of his chair laughing. You know, just <laughs> what in the world? You know, and that right. attention. I mean, if you could imagine, if you're a you know a social worker who got your master's degree and and, yeah. and work your way up to this certain pay scale, all of a uh-huh. sudden somebody can can get to your same level just because they drank really hard and stopped. Um, you know, and then there was there were tension. Uh, there's there's a, a number of history books about. Hazelden Hazelden's growth and there was just a lot of tension between the people who came up through the 12 steps and people who came up through medical um and psychological uh psychology uh, mm-hmm. uh education um the the uh, generally the the folks who came up through alcohol uh, through alcoholics anonymous believed themselves to be more qualified and mm-hmm. their their understanding of the problem to be um, better than uh, somebody who's been trained um, professionally, right? So, yeah, you mentioned and that. And that, that sort of carries through the whole tradi- the whole history, really. Yeah, the I'm kind sure of you, arrogance. You, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But, but here, I, I mean, I kind of I stopped, and like there were about five times that my jaw dropped. And uh, so <laughs> on page the bottom of fifty four and fifty five, and then the top of fifty five, where you just you talk about that. Um, uh, the problem was that you just said that all, but that the governor, okay, here, the proposed new job title would re- require just two years of sobriety and a high mm-hmm. school diploma. In lobbying for this new category, proponents for the treatment center also pushed for these new workers to earn the same salaries as counselors with graduate degrees in social work, which, of course, no, spurred incredible. resentment among the social workers. The AA community also pushed back, arguing that it was a professionalization of AA in violation of its traditions. But, you know, I want to back up because at least, like, what's going on now is that they don't pay them the same, right? So they want to hire somebody, just like you say in your book, they were in treatment last month. Now they're running the sober living house, and then in six months they're a counselor, yeah. Because they're in AA, and they don't, but they do not pay them well when they have right. no degree, right? That is like right. they they like that because then they pay them thirteen an hour or whatever they're paying yeah. them, right? Yeah. And um, right. which then we could just jump over to Marty, man, like sort of fighting with Yale because at first it was a good relationship, but then she felt she was knew more, she was knew more than them. Like you deal with her arrogance. And they separate. Want to talk about how they finally separated themselves from her? Sure, sure. Um, well, like you said, uh, she she uh, um, had her own idea about how things ought to be, and she um, asked was kind of on them to give give her scientific proof for what she believed. Um, mm-hmm. And oh, uh, uh-huh. um, so that's where the the. The, the book, The Disease Concept of Alcoholism, which is, it has this sort of spectrum of, of, of um, affliction that was created by uh, Bunky, Elvin Bunky Jelenic, which is still pretty, kind of, you know, uh, used today. Um, but it was based on basically survey data that Mann herself had collected and had scrubbed before turning it over to him. 
Um, mm-hmm. And there were other occasions too where she was. She, she there was one point where she wrote a pretty testy letter to Harold Haggard, who you know again the famous, pretty famous scientist at the time, big Yale tenured professor, you know, saying we need more scientific backing for this to show, you know, that uh, to help me sell my mission. Mm-hmm. Um, what led to them? What led to them splitting apart was kind of a complicated number of different things. One was that she was the idea was from the beginning that her organization would become self-sufficient uh, in a pretty quick amount of time. I think something like two years, and mm-hmm. they were five years in, and she really wasn't raising any money with it at all. Um, so that was a drain. Um, there also was a, a, a new partner that came into the organization called named Selden Bacon, who was a sociologist, um, and he was really pretty skeptical of the whole disease model um, mm-hmm. that man was pushing. Um, but what ultimately killed it was basically Yale. That man was was getting really, she was succeeding well and like out there in the world, going all around the world, basically representing herself as from Yale. And that these findings of hers, oh, you know, wow. her her viewpoint, you know, was was Yale. I mean, she she wouldn't necessarily express it that way, but when you say the things, you know, you make your message, and then you say, well, she would. She'd say, I'm from Yale. I mean, she was on their payroll oh and all God. that sort of stuff. So yeah, right. So yeah, the folks the folks at Yale, you know, the other tenured professors were kind of like, wait a minute, this is not fitting in with with the mission of our university and, and, uh, and then there was like a really weird kind of embarrassing thing where, um, man's organization was trying to raise money and they put out this, um, uh, uh, like a brochure or pamphlet or something that told the story of a, of a, a, a drunk banker named Harold Brown or something, some pretty common name. Mm-hmm. And when you know it, there, you know, were a couple of Yale alumni who had that name and were in banking so oh, wow. it was like kind of a perfect storm of all these things um, that came together. Um, you know, about they, like the little thing, they, create, selling stock for a company that didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that early part of his history that I certainly didn't know as an AA member. But uh, I want to just say there's this one line here about Marty, and this is about the NIAAA um, it shows it's like shows how bold she was. Um, mm-hmm. This is on page 115. <clears throat> um, this is about the early part when it, and these exchanges show how, in its early years, the newly created NIAAA operated as if it were a federalized extension of Dan's <laughs> campaign to narrowly define alcoholism and to promote AA at its most effective cure. I mean, that's mm-hmm. you know, I really. I was interviewed recently by these guys on The Hidden Truth, and I told them about you, and uh, I hope they interview you. But They did. Asked, I don't know if uh, – yeah. Oh, they did contact you? I don't you? know if I was – yeah, we, we had an interview. I haven't uh, – uh, it went pretty good. I, 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 I don't know um, if – It takes a while. It takes about a month for it to get up. They do it okay. differently. Like, yeah, mine, because they video it if you Skyped it, and then they um, will split it and, you know, put up mm-hmm. – part of the video and the whole podcast will go up. Um, but they had asked me, like, did she ever get federal funds? We we're talking about Marty. And I only knew enough from her bio, right? Because your book hadn't come out. Right. And, it, you know, I, but I knew because I had did, did a little more digging before that show. And I saw, yeah, that she was, you know, at the Senate and she was like, you know, out there 
She was in D.C., but, oh, yeah, let's talk about Johnson. Holy shit, so if you're friends with the president, like going all the way, so talk about going to Texas. So I was like, damn, I better go, like, lobby in Washington, you know? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we better yeah. put your book in our arm. Let's go to Kristen Gillibrand. She would like your book. She's not into AA. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, she'd be a good one. She contacted the people from the Freedom Model and um, mm. met with them. So anyway, so tell the tell the listeners again, listeners. We are talking to Joe Miller, who wrote the uh, fantastic new book, uh, U.S. of AA: How the Twelve Steps Hijacked the Science of Alcoholism. And I want to tell you guys, once you read the book, please go on to Amazon and review it because you got the crazy steppers already, the usual trolls giving it the one two star. You know, I've already seen. I know who they are. <laughs> who've given you a bad review yeah don't don't worry there'll be plenty of good ones Uh, so yeah let's talk about uh president uh, lyndon johnson yeah president johnson well he he uh met marty mann uh, when he was still a congressman not even the senate when he was a a representative from the austin Mm -hmm. area Mm -hmm. um and uh uh joined her organization uh, then called the national council of education on alcohol alcoholism um Early on, and they weren't really friends, um, but uh, but he joined her. But he was um, on the board. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was yeah. he was a supporter. You're you're right. Yeah, he was a supporter. I mean, to the extent that you can be friends with someone as busy as as LBJ was. Right. Um, right. So yeah, and then uh, um, you know there were some moves under the the Kennedy administration to address alcoholism, but then when when uh, when Johnson got into office, um, it became uh, a component of the of the great society platform that he had and in 1966 um he did a number of um addresses to to both houses of con- to to joint sessions of congress um and one was about uh health uh, in mm-hmm. the country and in that there was a substantial portion that addressed alcoholism and he was the first president really? um uh, mm-hmm. to to call it a, a disease um mm-hmm. and it was a, a a big moment in the whole community um marty mann sent him a, a, a telegram mm-hmm. um congratulating him and so did her benefactor uh, uh r brinkley smithers um, and a number mm-hmm. of other people um and then uh, uh after that that speech he created uh or as part of it um he he had ordered his his uh Oh, it was Richardson. He, the health, it was the director of health and and education and welfare, is what it was called back then, mm-hmm. um, to 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 do a task force to to um, uh, move towards some sort of legislation. And out of that uh, came the sort of the rough draft material for what Hughes would would use for the Hughes Act. Um, but really interesting thing that I found, I actually went to LBJ's library. I got a grant to go uh, look look there uh, in their mm-hmm. stuff and I found uh, the most extraordinary thing right after like a couple days after Johnson delivered his famous I will not and I shall not run for office again um you know after McCarthy had had given that good showing up in in New Hampshire and and mm-hmm. uh, Marty Mann sent him this letter offering to do anything you know offering her PR skills to help him sell the war the Vietnam war <laughs> To the American people, and I just think that's extraordinary. You know that you, she, you're so yeah, it's pretty bold. Yeah, driven for this particular policy, you know, in this particular issue that you would that you would help help sell a war that that by that point was you know 
very unpopular. And, and right, you know, right. So it's incredible, with, really. Yeah, I, I and, and I was shocked at the level of money um, that you mentioned here. And I told my husband, and he said, "Well, was because it's a billion, but there was even six hundred. So it was six hundred million dollars." That were that was sort of it was federal money. Can you talk about the mm-hmm. money and how early yeah. that happened? Because that, that is really why it, the, the bed that was sort of like the foundation that was laid was so long ago that people mm-hmm. don't realize that if you had if I had like Gates backing me or like I don't know who else to Michael Bloomberg backing me to build a nonprofit to educate people on naltrexone and all these other. Oh my God! We'd have like billboards, like there are pot billboards in LA. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it would be. Mm-hmm. We could. Re- but anyway, yeah. let's tell the listener about how long ago and some of this money stuff with the federal government. Well, it was it was well funded right from the start, um, and uh, um, but what really was interesting was that um, at the time Nixon was president when when mm-hmm. it was founded, yeah. and both houses of Congress were run by Democrats, and they. They funded it very well, and Nixon um, tried to not implement Congress's budget in this and a number of other areas that he disagreed with. Um, and ultimately, um, the courts made him do it because Congress—I mean, the Constitution, the Congress sets the sets the <clears throat> the budget. So all at once, uh, the NIAAA had just hundreds of millions of dollars poured into it and like literally was just sort of scrambling to fund stuff. And yeah. that's when Marty, Marty Mann's group got six, six to 10, I can't remember exactly millions of dollars to continue yeah. their campaign. And, and, you know, and then there were, there were some, there were some issues of malfeasance. Um, there was a, a, a congressional, uh, <clears throat> um, appointed, sort of audit of the organization and they found that um that actually uh well <clears throat> they didn't it didn't go to court or anything like that but it basically found that that uh, Marty Mann's organization was lobbying for funds and then using the money to lobby for more funds like the federal funding was used for lobbying for its own funds oh, um yeah and then there and were other things like- too there were like some there was some double booking of you know the uh, the the director of the NIAAA at the time went fishing up in Alaska with you know um, right. advertising group, execs yeah. and mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. and they had big some, parties some, I guess in fancy places in DC they were just having oh yeah yeah and, huge yeah one person that yeah. I talked to said that they went to an NIAAA function and it was just this incredibly opulent thing with like a you know a string quartet playing and you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Marty had to make it like uh, her thing. Okay, now the the next part that blew me away was the insurance industry because mm-hmm. one of the uh, thing I couldn't actually when I made my film uh, tried to call like I, I have SAG after insurance and so I was trying to investigate w- with the Carla Brada murder like if I called and said oh, I have a problem like where could I go that's in network and the lady was like. So they go, oh, oh, this is outsourced. You have to call this other number. So I called it, and I said, you know, I'm doing research. And she said, you know, we're really busy. There's, like, people dying, and you're, like, calling me. And I was like, excuse me? Like, I could tell that I was talking to an AA person, that this was – I forget the name of it. It's something options it was called at the time. Mm. They've changed the name. But I was calling to see who you would – it took me so much time 
for them to mm-hmm. send me a list. And on the front list were some very rogue, very shitty places in L.A. Oh, really? So, yeah, and I still didn't understand the insurance part. It was later, like after the film was out, and then I met people who came to me who were working in treatment, and that's probably what my next documentary is going to be about, will be about uh, certainly your book and the journalists that are working down in Orange County exposing it, but about rehab and sober living. But I still didn't understand the insurance part, that how could you pay for something that was religious? How could you pay for something that wasn't medical? And then mm-hmm. I'd look online, and it would say you know, that it was covered by the health department, but they were called non-medical treatment. And so I'm saying, okay, well, if it's non-medical treatment, why is Blue Cross paying for it? And then um, somebody said in our group, oh, don't worry, the insurance companies are, are really getting excited when Obamacare kicks in. It's going to have to be evidence-based, so they're no longer going to be covering AA. And that's why United stepped back, and I was like, oh, we're all going, oh, great, this is going to happen. And then Obama, the thing kicks in, and things escalate, and things actually mm-hmm. more kids start dying, and people don't mm-hmm. realize what's going on with the body brokering and the kickbacks and the circle of the three from from fake. Anyway, there's this whole thing that we don't have to get into now, but mm-hmm. I'm like, where did this begin? Like, how mm-hmm. is this going on? Then most recently I found out that you actually have to, if, you have, if you're creating a rehab, uh, you have to check a box that says you're going to use AA. Or it's I didn't know that. It. Yeah, that's, so that's hmm. really new. And I, this is like really recent. So I spoke to a psychiatrist yeah. and a younger guy who actually has a pretty decent um, rehab here. It's an IOP uh, outpatient um, who is an AA guy, but like goes once a year. So he's not, you know. He's, anyway, the program is mm-hmm. really pretty, pretty decent. And um, he, they both said yes. And so someone else I know who runs places, and so I talked to my lawyer who in New York who is an insurance lawyer, and he said, really? Like, that's, mm. like, really a problem, that that's still, like, that's like that. So maybe we'll get to expose it and deal with that if I make this documentary. So I'm on the page. It's funny. I just, like, flipped open the page, and there I was with you talking about Kemper Insurance. Yeah. So And, and the father and the rich kid, and I was like, holy shit. Like, how <laughs> long ago was that? You know what I mean? So like, can you yeah. talk about – tell, tell the listeners about Kemper Insurance. Well, Kemper, Kemper Insurance, um, uh, the, the, the scion of the company, the, the, the son who took it over, uh, was an alcoholic and got sober through AA and started, um, started uh, uh, supporting treatment in his own company. And then <clears> – <throat> was able to run the numbers on it and found that that uh, it was cost effective and um uh, uh started offering it as a as a uh, as an option to um its corporate uh, so, uh clients and uh it just sort of uh, got popular from there other other insurance companies started following suit and then of course in the 80s and early 90s it was sort of the just anybody could go I mean, it was just an explosion of, of being able to go for these 28, 28 day treatment programs um, on your insurance. It's uh, constricted a bit since then. Um, those those days are are kind of no more. Um, now it's more the experience like what you talk about, where you just can't get a clear answer from anybody about what you're covered for and where you can go. And um, 
for a while I was digging into it around here. I wound up not mm-hmm. really putting that in the book because I wanted to just focus on the history story. Yes, um, yes. But I talked to some people here that, that went to treatment, and, and basically the treatment the treatment that we have here in Columbus, Georgia, which is the second largest city in Georgia, um, the one the one really known treatment center around here that has billboards all over the place, it's completely AA-based. Basically, from what I understand, the whole – the whole thing is that they're just trying, basically, almost begging people to go to AA meetings, um, mm. and then now with the insurance situation that it is, if if they're not making progress uh, within a week or two, um, the insurance company will pull their their support and they're they're out. So, um, hmm. so maybe that's why they come out here in Florida, but Florida's changed the laws. So that's not mm-hmm. the case. Like, yeah, interesting. Well, we could talk offline, you know, about some of this because it's a really big problem and it's why all the yeah. deaths are happening. It's really terrible. Mm-hmm. But I'm, a lot of parents or mothers and fathers are calling me. Uh, and it's – I know that it isn't just the drugs that's killing them. I know now it's AA. You know, it is the mm-hmm. paradigm that is failed. A lot of them are atheists, this next generation of millennials. Mm-hmm. They're a lot smarter. You can't, like, con them into doing – you can't bribe them because they don't care about certain things. Like, it's an interesting generation, but they're killing mm-hmm. them, a lot of mm-hmm. them. And, uh, wow. Well, we, yeah, we'll talk about that. So was this as far back as the 60s, though, Joe, that this began mm-hmm. with Gemper? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Oh, my God. Like, I'm Oh Lord, but 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 back then it was like middle-aged, mostly middle-aged men and women that went. There were mm-hmm. no young people going to rehab, right? I mean, that was Marty not, was probably not, young. Not, not much until kind of the the late '60s, but there was a lot of tension. You know, when you talk about youth and age, one of the interesting things that I found was that in the early days of AA, um, they wouldn't let people in that were young, and by young I mean under 50. <laughs> um, or 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 older, and I found correspondence between Dr. Bob, one of the co-founders of AA with Bill Wilson, and um, somebody from from Cleveland that wanted to be part of the group. And Dr. Bob was saying, you know, this guy was in his 30s, and I said, you're just too young. You've got to go out and and really drink until your life's horrible, and, mm-hmm. and, and to be ready for what we have. Um, I think, honestly, of all my research, if I could get one message across that I think is kind of the most dangerous thing, it's this idea that that you have to drink to your own destruction if you have this disease, that there's no choice but to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's – It's. I think it's really dangerous, and there are studies that show that if you believe that, mind, if you believe that, that you have a disease like that, then you're a lot more likely to drink – um, uh, to to binge and to to drink until you're miserable. Um, when the fact is that you know it it's a struggle. It's hard. It's definitely hard. I'm not saying it's easy, um, but you can take measures to reduce your you know reduce your your drinking um, uh, before you get to that point. Um, you don't have you don't have. It's just not true that you have to drink until your life's miserable and you're ready right. for a. It's so true. I want to talk just two things. I I was going to Smart to just, you know, see what it was like here. And I went to one in Santa Monica, and there was a guy maybe in his 50s who had just come from AA and couldn't stand it. 
and he was told by his sponsor, and you could tell by the way he told him, he was using cocaine and alcohol, and the guy said, you know, you know, you haven't done enough. You know, why don't you go out and you know, uh, snort yeah. some more cocaine and come back? And the guy was like, what? Like, what? Do you, I, mm. I want to change. Like, you know, what are you saying? And then, and this is a show that I don't really watch much, but you know, my husband, and my sons like it. Is South Park, both. South Park uh-huh. and Family Guy, they did these episodes where, you know, he goes and then he just comes home and sits like with a TV table and he's just getting drunk and he comes uh-huh. back with the message that, you know, well, he just might as well just be drunk all the time, like just exactly what you said. Yeah, and, uh, wow. you know, I do think it's bad. And and, and on that note, because I know that, that uh, in the, the the latter part of the book, you talk about finding our checks on and let's talk about that because I know that more of us know but there are there are going to be listeners who don't know anything about Naltrexone and the mm-hmm. Sinclair method so mm-hmm. you want to talk a little bit about that and sure, how hard you sure yeah mm-hmm. well it was very hard for when I found out about it um, I really had a hard time finding a doctor that would prescribe it um, my own uh, family doctor knew nothing about it and even she said she actually said if I did I wouldn't prescribe it I'd have you go to a psychiatrist um, and I didn't know where to turn at that point and finally I I was researching the book at the uh, doing research toward the book at the time and one of my sources told me about the uh, SAMHSA site S-A-M-H-S-A I forget what yes. the the acronym yes. is for the Substance abuse, yeah, mental, mental health. Mm-hmm. I, the MH in mm-hmm. the middle of it, I know, is mental health. <laughs> and they they had a list of doctors that will prescribe naltrexone. Um, and there were a couple in my area. The first one I went to was a really just a horrible experience. And the second guy was quite helpful. And yeah, for it doesn't work for everybody. I think I think the statistics are something like one in seven, which is mm-hmm. definitely higher than than just about any other single. Uh, approach out there but for me it was part of uh, it was part of a package of things that I mm-hmm. did uh, for me it was really what sort of I, I describe it as punching a hole in my drinking problem um, mm-hmm. I would do the Sinclair method before I'd go out to drink and on a night where I would ordinarily you know uh, ordinarily binge you know upwards toward 10 or 12 um, I found that just almost eerily sort of uh, uh, beyond my control, I would, you know, mix in with my drinks over the course of the night, uh, club sodas and water, and wind mm-hmm. up drinking, you know, 30 or 50 percent less than I would. Well, and, um, you know, it wasn't perfect. I was still, you know, not mm-hmm. not doing as well as I wanted to. But it, like I said, it punched a hole in that mindset, and I could see right. that, you know, what it, I, I kind of got a little bit of practice drinking less. Um, you know, I could see. Uh, it just it just sort of broke that obsession a little bit, and so that mixed with um, uh, I got a an app for my phone called Choices and and um, Checkup and Choices, uh, which was designed by a guy named Reed Hester, who's in my book, um, hmm. and that's one where you do sort of a comprehensive survey of your your drinking patterns, and it sort of it, it does an assessment of where you're at, and then you um, you log in every drink. Um, uh, you you can log in sort of what your moods are, different cravings and stuff like that. And that sort of upped my mindfulness around it. Um, since then, I've sort of gravitated away from that. And basically the system that I use now, and I don't, don't use Naltrexone anymore, 
Uh-huh. Um, I really don't drink very much, uh, very frequently. Um, but the system that I have now, and this is just, I mean, everybody's kind of got to find their own path. But my right. wife and I have a calendar in a sort of central location in our in our house where we mark every day that we don't drink, we, we mark off with a big X. I, I use orange and she uses pink. Mm-hmm. On the days when we drink um, moderately, and by moderately I mean following the strict, strict protocols of, of you know, four drinks for for a man and th- uh, less than three drinks for a woman on any given day and, and fewer than, I don't know, 14 or so per week. So on the days when we do that, um, we do a small X. And then on those days, those occasional days where I drink above the the moderate level, uh, n- no X. And um, so the goal is to get as many X's as possible up on the calendar. Um, and it's working for us. Yeah, yeah, I I do think so, and I am. Turns out I'm a moderate. Like I drank after 37 years of abstinence, and mm-hmm. uh, but my husband left after 20 years of abstinence. He followed me out like six months later. Um, but that I thought that moderation management was a little too strict. Yeah, I think that if you mm-hmm. lived in Europe, and I don't drink more than that, but say. You know, maybe. Uh, a- anyway, I felt that it was a little too strict, and yet. I um, yeah, that's all. That I just can see why maybe it didn't work, and that is. I, so from there, let's talk about. Oh my God, we only have six minutes left. So I think <laughs> we can go over. Can you go over? Because I I did learn that you it will still record if we go over like an extra five minutes, or do you have to get somewhere? Sure. You can. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. So there's two topics that I'd like to talk, and we could have you on again. One is let's talk about. Kushlin, you know, Kushline. And, and what's her name? You know, again, um, oh, Audrey, Audrey. Kushline. Uh, yeah, let's talk about yeah. MM and what happened there because I have my little, you know, opinions too that I want to talk to you about. With it. So let's talk about that. And then there was another something else too that I want to talk about. So let's talk about MM and what happened there. Well, she's a sad story. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she. She was like us, you know, NAA, and and didn't feel quite right for her, and and uh, um, she decided to start drinking, and she found that um, that she could uh, manage it, and she created this um, uh, mutual help organization called Moderation Management, um, uh, that's grown pretty pretty good size, especially a strong presence online. Mm-hmm. Um, but she relapsed, you know, some years into it. Um, uh, pretty bad and uh um uh wound up getting behind the wheel of a car and and uh, when while severely drunk and killed a man and and her, his daughter mm-hmm. um uh, and really uh, um yeah it's really awful uh, the and and it co- sort of I remember cuz I was actually that was one of the periods of time when I was back in the program and I remember it coming up at meetings and how everybody sort of uh you know uh you know not guffawed, but sort of like, you know, knowingly, you know, kind of grin that, see, this proves us right, that you can't drink yeah. moderately, look at, you know. Well, the truth was that she was back in AA at that time um, mm-hmm. and uh, um, was 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 trying to to stick with that program and, and uh, um, uh, went on a really just a horrible bender. Um Interesting story though about it. She wound up becoming friends with the mother uh, and the wife, the, the widow of, of the 
the man and woman, man and girl that she killed, and they wrote a book together that was um, pretty remarkable in terms. Of, it was a really interesting study in forgiveness, self forgiveness, and that sort of thing. Um, really, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know? Did yeah. she, she, she kill herself? She killed herself recently. Yeah. 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 Definitely a, yeah, sad, a sad story, really but sad. here's here's the thing I want to say about that whole thing. As like right early on, I began like this RSS feed, which would pull into my email everything about AA, right? Anything mm-hmm. like, okay, this person got a DUI and they killed somebody. This person was sent to AA and they're a pedophile. This was a banker who molested a child. He was sent to AA, or he was going to AA. This guy. I mean, it was really a lot of news but mm-hmm. when they when people pointed their finger at her and said look see i could give mm-hmm. you hundreds of people who only went to aa and killed people drinking and yeah. driving yeah so they were forced there they were court ordered there it did, like there was somebody here in the last couple of years a younger person who had three or four duis who killed somebody and is was going to mm-hmm. finally do time, I think they should, you know, if the three issues probably go to jail for some time, you know, not probably, but this, mm-hmm. that there isn't more pushback or there wasn't somebody in the news or somebody sitting somewhere, even in an AA meeting to say, I mean, I guess they're not going to do it there, but that how many have killed people who were just steppers? And, mm-hmm. you know, it failed to, like Kevin and I know many people one guy for 30 years could never get more than six months. Nobody ever says, oh, you know, so-and-so, there's a thing called naltrexone. Maybe you want to try it. Maybe you, you mm-hmm. should go to smart recovery, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's very, very sad. Yeah, I heard that she had committed suicide. And um, yeah. on that note, let's talk about those other alternatives, which you talk about in the very end. You talk about smart and Tom. Um, when did you find those? Like, in, in your own journey, like, when did you find that SMART existed? Um, and not long after I found moderation management. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there, there's no SMART, face-to-face SMART recovery in my town. I've only been to one meeting. It was when I was in Providence doing research for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it. I really I just thought it was great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I tried some of the online stuff, but for me, the online just isn't the same. Right. Um, and I actually tried to start a meeting uh, here in town, and they, um, SMART has this training program for you to become a facilitator. And for me, it was just too much. I just uh, I couldn't take it on. Uh, once I sort of got into the training, I just was like, this just isn't going to work Oh, the work training was? Yeah. Yeah, as mm-hmm. far as uh, just the, the – yeah. So, and it's interesting too when I talked to Tom Horvath, who you're referring to, um, one of the co-founders. Um, he said that he he worries that that if it doesn't grow significantly in the next decade or so, that it's it's not going to last. Um, so I don't I know. Think maybe, it will. I think it will. It's what, 10? three thousand meetings now worldwide. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, three thousand. Yeah, I know. I'd, lo- I'd love to have it. I'd love to have it here in town. Um, but uh, it just wasn't. I, I'm just not the right person to facilitate it. Right. Well, you were writing a book, 
I think that it's yeah. kind of hard. Like, I wanted to become a facilitator, too, but I was making a film, mm-hmm. and I said, okay, Monica, that's a little too much, you know. <laughs> you just yeah. can't take yeah. something else on, you know, and you have a friend, two kids and a husband and two dogs, no dog. But yeah. It, right? It's just too much. It uh, is, yeah. You know, I think that maybe if I had said to him, if you go to the colleges where people are becoming therapists and PhDs, that you get them involved and have them become, you know, sort of, do you know, it has to be kind of that AA thing where people do work, mm-hmm. where they do outreach or PA, you know, they, they actually need funding. And there is a ton mm-hmm. of money that just with this last bill that Trump passed uh, for the for drug and alcohol issues. It's oh, really? Huge amount. I haven't followed yes. that. Yeah. Millions and millions. Yeah, I, I'll send you the link, but there should be money for all of them to mm-hmm. uh, get some funding, smart recovery, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of money for prevention, for community work. And But the thing is, is that AAs already know how to get it. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some place opening up somewhere that was a giant sober living. It's like a big building. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. I think it's an apartment house, and it's federally funded mm-hmm. with you know, low-income housing, and they're going to blend what they're doing. And I'm like, okay. Uh, but, um, you know, I would really love to have you on again. I sure. I love the book. I think it's an important book. Um, everybody, we have been talking to Joe Miller, who wrote the book, U.S. of AA, How the 12 Steps Hijacked the Science of Alcoholism. And there were people who finally got into um, the oh, oh, this guy just said, I wish the show was two hours long. Uh, <laughs> somebody said, uh, love the book. Um, let's see, uh, they're in there, but we, I so it's good. So next time I do a show, there'll be uh, more chatting, but we could certainly have you on again. I, I'd be happy to, it was really a great conversation. Yeah, I would too. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, and there's so many people who were in my Facebook groups. We have a Leaving AA and Deprogramming, and uh highly recommend you either make a, a book page on Facebook maybe if you don't want to do your own personal thing. That uh, There's just so many people. Okay. But I did put it on the blog. You know, I mean, I have a blog, and I'm trying to tell people to put it out there so that Google will pull that in. But that it's really important that the truth be known, that they're not this little benign uh, organization that it's a huge institution and as far mm-hmm. back as the 40s it began yeah. we didn't even talk about hollywood okay so i have to have you back uh, what happened with <laughs> with her right with marty and you really just yeah hollywood on it. was uh oh lord part of the mission yeah yeah who's the famous one the one um mary pickford mercedes right? mccann what's that Mary Pickford too, though. But you you used um, oh yeah, Mercedes. Mary Pickford was on the board of of Man's Group. But yeah, uh, uh, Mercedes McCain, McCambridge, she testified as part of the Hughes Act. Um, uh, and you've mentioned Dick Van Dyke and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Interesting though, on in her book, it doesn't say that Mary was on her board, right? And you know what else I found too before I did the interview on. The, truth oh i was like also same kind of like jaw dropping so like the vp of cbs was on her board like in the 50s oh, Holy yeah shit, can you, like how many comedians there was something else too with like and i couldn't find which ones but they were some really famous ones i think that were very closeted mm-hmm. they never came out that they had become steppers 
But the mm. vice president, oh, imagine the vice president of CBS is on my board of my if I create a nonprofit. Wow. Wow. <laughs> like, no kidding. Right? It, it just shows the power. Mm-hmm. Right? Really uh, too much. Well, I want to thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Joe, too. For being on the show. We'll have you again, and we'll talk offline. And uh, just uh, I, I just hope that you get a lot of press. I really do. I really wish I you I do, too. Ready. I hope you do, too. I think what you're doing is really important, too. I thought your documentary was outstanding. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much, Joe. And we'll talk to okay, you again. Okay, take care. All righty. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.